Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. In a cruel twist, I have someone actually interviewing me. Not here, but on Open Source RVA with my friend Don Harrison. We'll be talking about where this show came from, where it's going, some of the fun guests that have been on, and we'll probably mention my Dirt Woman documentary as well. On Friday's Open Source RVA at noon on WRIR-FM 97.3. It'll be on right after this version of Sifter for the Ear. You're working on an Arthur Ashe screenplay, and actually, it's funny, he's the only monument still on Monument Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Where did that idea come from, and where is it now in development? Well, yeah, Hyde Park Productions approached me to write it. So I finished the screenplay and they're very happy with it. And it's moving forward now. They're trying to get actors involved and all of that. That's Kevin Wilmot, today's guest. In addition to writing and directing several films, including the satirical documentary CSA, The Confederate States of America, Kevin will be returning to Richmond for this year's James River Film Festival. He's probably best known as the screenwriter of three Spike Lee joints, Chirac, To Five Bloods, and Black Klansman. Sifter Review of the Week. The Outfit. Mark Rylance gives another enthralling performance as a quietly reserved English tailor transplanted to 50s Chicago. Most of his regular customers are local gangsters, which results in potentially dangerous encounters. Even though all of the action takes place in one shop, it never feels claustrophobic, partially because of Graham Moore's taut direction and definitely due to the superb acting. The developments seem a bit expected, but the writing is intelligent enough and there are sufficient twists to make it a compelling little drama. I gave it four out of five stars. So I'm chatting with writer, director, and actor Kevin Wilmot, who will be at the James River Film Festival again this year, which runs from March 31st to April 3rd. You'll be here Sunday, April 3rd for CSA, which you wrote and directed, and then also to talk about Black Klansman, which you wrote for Spike Lee. Welcome to Sifter, Kevin. Hey, good to meet you, Jerry. Thanks for having me. I looked in your IMDb, and one of the things it says is you were a drama graduate from Marymount College. It's funny because when I went to college, we called it the drama department, but now they call it the theater department. When did it change? Or do you still call it the drama department? <laughs> you know, I know they call it the theater department too. Yeah. I mean, it, remember it was speech and drama in our Exactly. Day. Right. You know, speech and drama. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that they changed that maybe in the nineties or so. I think that started to change, yeah, I, you know, maybe it might've been late eighties. And, and I think, I think the whole thing about speech kind of left as well that's true you know yes you know it's not a, quite an emphasis uh, about that like it was back in the old days so kevin why theater in the first place what made you want to be an actor director whatever you were to start with yeah well really kind of you know i didn't have access to film was what it, really what it was you know i went to the movies every weekend as a kid right. we went to grown folks movies we didn't go to disney movies right, right. <laughs> that was that was below us right right <laughs> I just love movies. And, and then as I got older, kind of started to understand the importance of film and all of that. And so the thing I had access to in growing up in Kansas, you know, there was nothing film around here. Sure. Really, right. You know, but we had a great theater department in Marymount College, which was about 40 miles from where I grew up in Junction City. Right. So uh, I was able to get there, and that gave me my start. Okay, great, cool. Now, I noticed uh, in your early days, you, you were very known as a community activist, too. You were doing lots of work in the community. How did that translate to your work in the theater? Did you start out more propaganda-oriented, or did that not inform it? 
Well, I think I think I've always been uh, influenced by social kind of commentary in films. You know, I mean, social films are probably my favorite kind of film. Right. You know, right. uh, Dr. Strange Love. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. the satire really and social commentary go hand in hand. What's kind of called the problem pictures of the 1940s and 50s and 60s right. that, that had a big influence on me. The Defiant Ones, you know, Gentleman's Agreement, you know, Guesses Coming to Dinner. Those kind of movies that found an entertaining way to deal with social issues. You know, I took my activism and combined it with my love for, for movies. And that's kind of what's to kind of develop my style. And that brings me to that question. So you started in theater. How did you pivot to film and to movies? Well, you know what? Movies was always my goal, really, you know, okay. and, and but I'm glad I did theater because I learned so much in writing plays that I don't think you kind of pick up a lot of times in film school. Good point. Character development and dialogue, especially dialogue's a big one. Right, right. And rhythm and pacing, all those kind of things. I learned a lot from being in plays with that. And so when I went to school at NYU, that, that was my real pivot point to learn how to to turn it into film, right, for, really. for your master's degree. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I was a director my whole career, but I always look for theater on the resume because you talk about as a writer, but as an actor too, you know, an actor is so much better prepared if they learn how to create a role on stage. No doubt about it. I mean, acting on stage is, you know, I would argue is, is harder than in film. Absolutely. You got to sustain an audience. You mean, right. you know, that's a sustaining thing is a huge deal. And then you learn timing and you know, so many things that you learn from the stage that you don't pick up in film. I think the be the better film actors are, are stage actors. Absolutely. Really. Absolutely. Speaking of film, you are now an assistant professor at the Film Studies Department at University of Kansas. How do you like being a teacher? <laughs> well, I'm actually a professor now. That's, that's oh, excuse me. Okay. Profe <laughs> oh, I, I did say associate <laughs> professor. How do you like being a professor? Professor Wilmot? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you know, I've, I've done it for a long time. Now. I've taught, I think, about 20 years now, a little, wow. little over 20 years. Yeah, you know, it's it's really great. I, I think I learn just as much from my students as I probably teach them. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot from really studying the history of African-American images in film in particular. That really kind of informed my movie CSA and, right, right. and, uh, and Black Klansman as well. Sure. And uh, we're going to talk about those in a minute, but I want to flash back a couple of years to 2016 when you were here for the James River Film Festival for Destination Planet Negro. Yes. What were your impressions? Was that your first time you ever been to Richmond? No, that was my first time to Richmond. And what were your overall impressions? Well, I, I wouldn't be coming back if I didn't love it. <laughs> there it's you a, go. It's a great, yeah. it's a great city. It's a great city, and of course, it's got a lot, a lot of great history, which I really, you know, really enjoyed my first time being there. And you know, it's it's a progressive city, which I really like. And the film festival there is, you know, really a, a terrific one. All of that just made a big impression on me, and I just really enjoyed my time there. Look, looking forward to getting back. Often on these shows, I have a surprise drop-in guest. And Mike Jones, who's the co-founder of the festival, was going to drop in today, but he ended up having to be on the road and couldn't do it. But he did tell me that he remembered when you were here before, you went to Roy's Big Burger. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, that was that was great. I mean, I love a good burger, yeah, yeah. so it's a big one. So, of course, as you know, one of the biggest changes in Richmond since the last time you were here is almost all the monuments are gone. Yeah, that's a big one, you know, and, and I'm proud of Richmond for doing that. And, you know, that's really kind of at the core why I made CSA uh -huh. was really to inform kind of people of the history around them and kind of how history affects our lives today. 
You know, I, I recently wrote a script about Arthur Ashe as well. Oh, I was going to ask you about that later. Let's save that because that's my teaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, those statues informed that script as well. The memory of the South is what won the Civil War. You know, they may have lost in the battlefield, but we celebrated in America, we celebrated the history of the Confederacy as if it was a legitimate idea. And, you know, I, I think we're now finally kind of coming to terms with how it was illegitimate. America was founded with slavery as a notion. Absolutely. So it wasn't like these are bad people. It was like just ingrained, incorporated into the whole notion of America to start with. Right. So we made the mistake of not removing it early on and coming to terms with the evils of slavery early on. And since then, we've had to come to terms with it. And, and the statues are one of the last kind of remnants of, of really moving forward. I say, actually, some people say here it was a, a monument to the losers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In the end, it's a monument to the exactly. losers, you know? Right, exactly. You know, and, and, and you don't get that really any place else. You don't, yep. you don't you would have a monument to Hitler say, well, yeah. you know, he's an awful guy, but, you know, we got to celebrate, yeah. the, you yeah. know, the idea of what he was trying yeah. to do. You know? <laughs> You're right. Now, you know, it's interesting talking about the Civil War. Of course, many people in Richmond think they know all about it and how Harper, oh, sure. Harper's Ferry and how it started. But a lot of people probably don't know that Lawrence, Kansas, near where you grew up, actually was one of the earliest Civil War clashes. Give people a little bit of history of that. Yeah, well, you know, I live in Lawrence and, and KU is in Lawrence. And, you know, John Brown is a big thing here in town for, for us. The Battle of Blackjack. That's kind of considered the first Civil War battle, really. And that's right outside of Lawrence here. It really kind of starts here. The, and John Brown kind of lights the fuse here. I always like to say about John Brown, because people say, oh, he's crazy and all that. I said, but no one, no one ever calls slave owners crazy. Yeah, right. You know, the only, the only white man who's out here trying to actually free slaves, the only guy that was really freeing slaves. I mean, he freed slaves. Right. John Brown did. Right. So he's crazy, but the guy owning slaves, he's not crazy. Right, right. So just it's just another example of kind of how we were taught in this backwards way of thinking, you know, that owning human beings was somehow a normal thing. We put it off long enough. We've talked about everything around it. Let's talk about CSA. Tell me what was the <laughs> idea? And, and CSA stands for Confederate States of America. Yeah. Where did you come up with this idea of, okay, what happens if slavery wasn't overturned? Well, I think it, it kind of touches on that, that thing I mentioned that I, I think in a lot of ways the South did win the Civil War in America. Probably the best example is where I live, Lawrence. So Lawrence, we love to say that Kansas was a free state. You know, right. my kids went to Free State High School and the Free State is a that big, was the name of the high school. That was the name of the high school. Oh, cool. OK. Missouri was a slave state. Kansas was a free state. We we're having this big clash with Missouri. And so we were defined as free state. But after the Civil War, you know, Kansas becomes segregated. You know, we didn't teach the South how to live. The South taught the North how to live. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that really kind of, you know, inspired CSA because, Confederate flag was still flying over several states right. at that time I made the film. And just, you know, Hollywood movies that romanticized the Confederacy and kind of celebrated it in various, various ways. I wanted to make a movie that kind of said, you know, once and for all, that at the core of the Confederacy is slavery. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the Learn how we protected the noble institution of slavery. It's about one idea, slavery. It's not about heritage. It's not about all these other things, the state's rights. 
the, the right that they're talking about is the right to home slave. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of have fun with that too, in that network kind of Dr. Strange Love kind of way of kind of embracing it and taking it all the way. And so CSA kind of in a satirical way, hopefully kind of goes at the root of that. Definitely satirical and funny. You, you actually framed it as a British documentary. Was that just because you kind of needed to get objective on the other side of it from across the pond? Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's styled like a, the Ken Burns right. series, right. Civil War. But if the CSA is still going on, they're not going to make a movie kind of about the bad parts of itself, you know, know? so it's going to have to be an outside kind of entity looking at it. So it's the British kind of looking at us and, you know, you get to see their commercials and their TV shows and their culture and the bigger world of it, which is really where you get to have a lot of the fun. But, but for me, a big part of the fun was just kind of showing how the history changes and kind of how the history doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of humor in the movie, and it's interesting because you did different styles. You know, some of it is documentary style, and then the commercials, which astoundingly you revealed those commercials were for real products. I don't want to even say some of those names. I mean, Darky Toothpaste, you know, and I'm like, I thought yeah. these are hilarious. And I said, oh my Lord, these really, some of them even to the 50s, the restaurant out in yeah. California. That's right. I mean, it, I mean, you know, you know Darky Toothpaste is now called Darley Toothpaste, and it's still sold overseas wow. with the black character on the on the label. Yeah, yeah. it's still. It, my friend of mine was recently in China. He he brought me back a a, a tube of that. You know, that's incredible. I think now one I think that was not real, but I thought was pretty funny. That was in one of the corner was the Massacard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that those kind of things. I mean, obviously we're having fun, but. You know, you can argue in, in various ways the, the discrepancy between the rich and the poor in this country. That's beyond black and white. That's kind of all of us. Right. Those kind of things, it, it is kind of a master, yeah. master in those other guys kind of mentality, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. You've spent some money on all those commercials. And, and then you had all of that, like you said, the Kinsburn recreation, all the illustrations and photos and all that kind of stuff. You had to recreate all of that. You must have had a pretty big art team on that to create all that stuff. <laughs> no, we made this movie. I made that. I shot the film for $40,000. Wow. Yeah. And of course, you know, using the equipment at, at Kansas University and oh, okay. my colleagues helped me and my actor friends. I mean, we all did it for pretty much nothing. And that's why that's one of the reasons I remained in, in Kansas and stayed at the university, because that's how I got my movies made, really. Oh. And I used my students. So the students learn by working on the films. And, you know, it's been a it's been a great kind of way to to make movies that Hollywood would have never made CSA in a million years. Absolutely. I noticed you a little had a little part in there yourself, too, as an extra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I always tell people, you know, I, I work cheap. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> And you always take good direction, right? And I take good direction. I'm easy to work with, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because, and probably this is obvious because it was the Civil War, but there was quite a bit of Virginia-centric references in there. Uh, was that just yeah. because that was where a lot of the Civil War happened, or was that some kind of relationship you had with Virginia? No, it's really just because the country kind of comes out of Virginia. You know, Virginia is kind of the where it all kind of starts in so many ways. So, you know, because George Washington is our first president, but he's also a slave owner. Thomas Jefferson is the architect of really America, but he's also a slave owner. It's yeah, it's that duality that kind of has we've been dealing with as Americans our whole lives here. 
Uh, and Virginia is really right in the middle of all of that. Right. Good point. Good point. Now, last week I had an interview with a director named John Kohler, who was responsible for the first Native American rock opera called Something Inside is Broken. Wow. And one of the questions I asked him, and I want to ask you the same question, he had a number of times where he had Caucasian white actors having to do really horrible things and say really horrible things to the Native <laughs> Americans. Obviously, you sure. have some of the same stuff in CSA where you have these white folks just being glib and happy about owning slaves. <laughs> did you have to, did you work with them at all? Was there any kind of overcoming that awkwardness barrier with these people having to say these racist things and do these racist things? Well, I think that's what history is all about. When I make a film, we're always talking about the subject matter of the film on the set. Right. So it's not just like you're saying, you know, these horrible things you have to say within the dialogue. You, you have to kind of create the context in which all this comes out of. And the history is the context. Right. And so, so I always try to allow my actors, by creating the environment of the set, to really kind of give them permission to become historically these people. Right. Right. Part of why I make these films is for us to take ownership of the history. Right. Right. And so when you discuss it, when you talk about it, when you're free to kind of express it and ask dumb questions, because the asking of dumb questions is a big part of the problem in us moving forward. Because, you know, people ask a dumb question, you kind of get pounced on. Right. And it's right. like, you, you, that's how you learn. That's how you learn. You, you got to give people space to learn. Yeah. And the set is is something I, I really have a lot of fun with in terms of talking about it and, and easing people's uh, discomfort. Right, right. Obviously, you directed CSA. You wrote it. You got a little tiny part in it. But the other film that's going to be focused on at the festival, of course, is Black Klansman, which you wrote for Spike Lee. How did you start working with Spike? Well, it was really through CSA. He heard about CSA. We shared an agent at the same time. He heard about CSA and wanted to see it and, and loved it. And so that, that film was presented by Spike Lee. And then he asked me if I had any other scripts. And I had a script at that time called Gotta Give It Up. Mm -hmm. And it was a modern day version of the ancient Greek play, Lysistrata, you know, where the women go on a sex strike to to stop the war. You can see where that comes uh, up later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that film became Chirac, right, which was right. actually the, the first film that Amazon Studios made. And then we did Black Klansman after that. And then The Five Bloods sure. after that. So how is the relationship working with him? Is he real open to your suggestions or is it uh, push-pull? Or Yeah, I think when, when I work with Spike, it's, uh, it's pretty easy because... I think we both kind of come from, we're about the same age right. and we're from very different backgrounds in some way, but very similar backgrounds mm -hmm. in other ways. I think more than anything, we, we care about the same things, right. you know? So uh, it's always been easy to work with him. We kind of just go back and forth sharing drafts. You know, right. I'll usually do the first draft and then I'll send it to him and then he'll send it back to me and we just kind of go back and forth that good, way. Good. Or do you ever get to be on set or by that time, are you just long gone back at college teaching? <laughs> no, I, I'll, oftentimes I'll usually go to the set for some period of time. With Chirac, I was there for the whole time. Uh, other times I'll, you know, stay a few days and come back, that kind of thing. But it's always good to go to the set, you know, because his sets are fun. And, yeah. you know, it's great to meet the actors and all that. Uh, is there ever any rewriting on the set or during production? Does he ever say, hey, this scene needs a little work? Yeah, it's, occasionally we do that, you know, like with Five Bloods before shooting started, I was there. So we, we rewrote a few little things, you know, kind of for the actors, you know, once right. you get the actors there and then you kind of tailor it to the, the actors. Voice and, right. Did a lot of that with Chirac. But as a whole, with uh, Black Klansman, didn't really didn't do any of that. Oh, so oh. each one is kind of That's different. a testament to your strong writing, I guess. <laughs> well, that's up so. <laughs> 
talk about the five bloods, which of course the title refers to five black men who served together in Vietnam. And then yes. years later, four of them go back to bring back the remains of the fifth one. One of the big questions, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, Chadwick Boseman played the young version of the fifth soldier. And he's obviously not in the later version because he died, but all the other four actors who were young in the seventies were played by the actors today. Was that your suggestion? Was that Spike's idea to keep them in their fifties as opposed to in their twenties? Yeah, that was Spike's idea from the very beginning. And I really love that notion. And, and to me, I tried to connect it to the kind of the reality of war in the sense that kind of the memory of war kind of ages with you. Right, right. It's not like you're just young during the war and then now you're an older man and now it's totally different. The war stay, stays with you right. and it never really leaves. And those memories, and that trauma, and the PTSD, all of that kind of ages with you. I, I really like that notion yeah, yeah. Uh, symbolically in terms of that. And I try to throw a few lines in that kind of illustrated that. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned it earlier. We want to get back to Chirac. Was that your title from the beginning? No, my title was Gotta Give It Up. Oh, and that's then, right. That's right. And then how did it get changed? And what does that new title mean? So Chirac really comes from the reality that more people were dying in Chicago than Iraq. And so Chirac, that kind of became a street term that people kind of used about the problem of, of gun violence in Chicago. Spike wanted to kind of take that on head on. And so we, you know, we set it in Chicago. And actually it's interesting because you did mention, of course, you got your theater background. It was based on Lysistrata, which is a play about yeah. women who hold out sex until the war is stopped. In this case, it was Chicago, but I was surprised. And again, I don't know how much of this was changed or was in the original, how literally it was. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson was the chorus, quote unquote, right. there were rhyming couplets, there were the confrontations yes. were stylized. Uh, was that all your concept originally? Or did some of that evolve with Spike Lee? That was all my concept from the very beginning. That's why Spike really liked it, right. because the theatrical part of it. And when I was in the play, I said, wow, this sounds like spoken word. It, it, I mean, it's very modern. It's very hip. It's very fun. Right. And then again, at the core of it, dealing with a serious, very serious problem. Of course, the other film that will be showing at the festival is Black Klansman, which is definitely one of Spike Lee's most commercial and most fun movies, you know. Footnote. Black Klansman is based on the true story of a black officer, played by John David Washington, who establishes a phone conversation with racists, then sends out a fellow white Jewish officer, played by Adam Driver, to assume his role in person. For this movie, Kevin shared an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. What were some of the challenges of creating that script? Well, I think the, the big challenge was, I mean, conceptually, it's, it's great. But then, you know, you had to really kind of make it work because it's, it's so kind of crazy. But it's based on true story. It's based on true story. Right. I mean, this actually, Ron Stallworth actually did this. Right. There are two Ron Stallworths. There's, there's a white Ron Stallworth that literally enters the Klan. Uh, and then you got a black Ron Stallworth, who's the, the actual guy. Right. And, and so he's on the outside listening in and, you know, ready to come in and save Adam Driver's Ron Stallworth when he gets in trouble. And then David, he, he had some relationship with David Duke. This is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. And all of that is real. But the, the reality of it is, is that, you know, Ron Starwood was such a good detective. There, there wasn't much of a third act. So you, I had to kind of really create the, the third act of the film. 
And that's the thing that you often have to do with true stories. You know, the nucleus of it is usually very dramatic and really cool and really interesting. And all of that lends itself well to film. But oftentimes there's really no ending and you have to kind of help the drama and you've got to have to help. But, you know, I, I try to base those choices on real things within the real story as much as possible. You don't want to just pull things out of your hat. Right. You want to pull from the reality as much as you can. The clan's real goal was to blow up a gay nightclub oh, wow. in, okay. in Colorado Springs. And they were able to stop that before it happened and all that. And so, you know, like we took that concept and, and then kind of turned it into uh, the Black Student Union, which was also a big part of the uh, original right. story as well. So, you know, those are the kind of things you do in terms of making a drama work. Oh, that's interesting, because I was going to ask you for an example, and that's a great example. Uh, it's interesting, by the way, my last line actually gives a lot of credit to you, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Of my review of that movie, I said, Lee's skill as a storyteller creates a compelling narrative. You see, story and narrative? Uh, wait a minute. I think maybe that's Kevin that did all that work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Now, you mentioned earlier, and I wanted to save it for now, you're working on an Arthur Ashe screenplay. And of course, as you know, actually, it's funny, he is the only statue still on Monument Avenue. He's the only monument still on Monument Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Where did that idea come from? And where is it now in development? Well, yeah, Hyde Park Productions uh, approached me to to write it. So I finished the screenplay and they're very happy with it. And it's moving forward now. It's in development and they're trying to get actors involved and all of that. So you can't give us any know, names of anybody yet, can you? No, uh, well, there's no, I'm not, not that I know of yet, okay. but, it, you know, it, I, I think it'll, it'll be a great film. And obviously, Arthur Ashe is a real hero on so many levels. And it was a real honor to write his story. I, I learned a lot about him. It's so symbolic that he's the last remaining statue there. And, and, and you know, obviously, you know, as an African-American, it's easy to say that. But I, I think more than anything, he's an American hero. And the removing of the Confederate statues and, and keeping his statue there is really kind of what America is all about. I mean, Richmond really kind of nailed it with that because Arthur Ashe is a multiracial democracy hero. He opens up so many doors and so many avenues in American life. Personally, that was, that's kind of his heroics. And the fact that he comes out of segregation to do that is uh, what makes him really special. I'm hoping you know Andy Edmonds, the head of our film office, because you know they're going to be pitching hard to get that movie shot in Virginia since it's his hometown right here in Richmond. Yeah, I, I would love to see that happen. And come back I'd and visit again. That. Yes, indeed. Now, the last question I always ask everybody when I do these shows is, what are you watching right now? Oh man, that's always a crazy. That's always a crazy question for me. Yeah. I'm kind of one of those weird dudes, you know. Oh, I think come on, because... let's have the weird. Come on, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as an Academy member, I have to watch Academy movies so I can vote. Right. Here, real, going to vote here in the next day or so. So, is there anything you're watching on streaming or TV when you don't have to watch all the Oscar contenders? You know, I end up watching old movies. Oh, really? Okay. You know, it's my guilty pleasure. It's like comfort food, right? And sometimes bad old oh, movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anytime the Dirty Dozen is on, I'll watch oh, the Dirty okay. Dozen. So when you say old movies, are you talking 30s and 40s? You're talking 70s and 80s or all of that? Oh, you know, I mean, the 60s and 70s is considered old movies for yeah, yeah. a new generation. <laughs> now. But I, I watch movies from the 40s. 
I, I like silent films. Uh, if it works for me, if it, if it gives me pleasure, then I, I'm, you know, that's a, that's a movie I want to watch. Terrific, terrific. All right, well, this has been a great conversation. There's lots of fun stuff in this, lots of fun stuff in all the movies you've written, and it obviously comes out in your personality. I have been talking to writer, director, and actor Kevin Wilmot, who will be here at the James River Film Festival next weekend to talk about CSA and Black Klansmen. Kevin, thank you so much for taking your time on this Saturday morning out of Kansas to be with us. Thanks, Jerry. Just a reminder, the 28th James River Film Festival runs from March 31st through April 3rd, and I do have a link on this show's website. Coming soon. In theaters. The Lost City. Sandra Bullock plays a romance novelist with Channing Tatum as her cover model. And they go on an adventure a la Romancing the Stone. Infinite Storm. Based on the true story of a woman and the man she rescued on a snow-covered Mount Washington. RRR, which stands for Rise, Roar, and Revolt, and is billed as India's biggest action drama. You Are Not My Mother, a psychological thriller set against the background of an Irish myth. TV and streaming. On the 24th, after a four-year break, Donald Glover is back for season three of Atlanta. Paperboy and the gang tour Europe. Halo on Paramount Plus from the video game about an alien force that threatens humanity in the 26th century. Bridgerton returns for a highly anticipated second season on the 25th on Netflix. And Abbott Elementary returns for the second half of their first season on ABC on the 27th. And of course, the big show on the 27th is the Oscars on ABC. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.